Welcome to Home Dance Film Festival, the podcast that brings a little bit of the Sundance Film Festival to you. We discuss two movies that played at Sundance along with one non-Sundance film, plus a few other fun things thrown in along the way. Today we're discussing Sound of My Voice, Private Life, and Fever Pitch. I'm Jessica. And I'm Dylan. This year marks the 40th year of the Sundance Institute. Nice. And they're the ones that put on the Sundance Film Festival, and they help independent artists and people who are just starting out to make really great movies, and they have the Sundance Lab, and that's why we have really good Sundance movies. Yes, a good number of the films that we've talked about have been developed in the Sundance Lab, and I thank them for it because they have been amazing. They are the reason that I have a lot of good movie memories, so thanks Robert Redford and the Sundance Institute. (laughs) Absolutely. Kudos to you, sir. Uh, I wanted to discuss just a few movies very briefly before we get into our main discussion. I won't take up too much time. In the last two weeks, I've watched a few movies that I thought were interesting enough to talk about. The first of which is this Swedish slash Norwegian movie called Breaking Surface. And an actress in the special features described it as gravity underwater, which I think is a pretty apt description. It's about these two sisters who travel to their home in Norway and go on a deep dive trip and along the way one of them gets trapped by a fallen boulder and the other one has to work to get her free before oxygen runs out so she's having to contend with all kind of obstacles and possible getting the bends from like going mm-hmm. up, up too and, fast yeah so it's very tense before credits it's just under 80 minutes so it's very tightly compact and very thrilling i thoroughly enjoyed it there wasn't too many of those boneheaded decisions of like, what are you doing? There are a few, but it's to be expected in something like this. But for the most part, it's very logical and they set things up pretty effectively. So I would recommend that to anyone who likes a, like a nice heart-pounding thriller. Mm-hmm. And if you just like hearing Swedish and Norwegian people speak, that's just extra on top for me. <laughs> And the next movie I wanted to talk about is the newest adaptation of the classic German novel Berlin Alexander Platz, which I have not seen the 15 plus hour Rainier Werner Fassbender version that's out on Criterion, but I did watch the new 2020 version that runs a very svelte three hours long, <laughs> so shaved off about 12 plus hours. Having no comparison for this movie, I thought it was pretty good. They update it in this one, I know, to there's a West African immigrant who makes his way like a perilous journey across the sea to Germany. And he's like trying to rebuild his life. And he has kind of like a shady past, but he wants to be a good person in Germany. But then, of course, there's like a devilish figure in Germany who preys on these poor West Africans and say like, hey, don't you want more than just the bare minimum and just to survive? Don't you want stuff in this world? Why don't you deal drugs for me? So it's just this guy puppeteering this West African dude's life and him trying to be a good person but falling under the influence of this horrible dude and then there's all kinds of backstabbing and manipulation and hurt feelings and I think probably repressed homosexuality and it's all kinds of stuff in here. It's probably still a little bit too long and some of the decisions of the characters are not the brightest but overall it's a very interesting journey and there's also halfway through the movie he meets a girl who he kind of wants to be a better person for of course and it kind of leans into the hooker with a heart of gold stereotype which isn't the best but I do like their dynamic and it's interesting the plot's kind of Shakespearean in a way it was interesting enough eventually I'll sit through that 15 hour version and the last full movie I want to discuss is this movie called Highway Racer which is a part of this box set from Arrow Video that just came out and I just want to say Highway Racer is insane it has some of the most chaotic car chase scenes I've ever seen on film and from what I was reading about it shortly after this people instituted safety policies because many people almost died during these stunts gnarly bro 
which makes it extra thrilling and extra heart pounding knowing like how close these people got to death. It's very reckless, but it's on film, so I'm gonna watch it. But it's a very entertaining movie. There's several car chases and they're among the best I've ever seen. The plot itself is fairly standard of just like there's a reckless cop who wants to take down these criminals and he needs to learn not to be so reckless because he keeps getting all of his fellow officers in harm's way. But these car chases, they're pretty dope. So if you like a good car chase, try Highway Racer. And that's my final film I wanted to mention in depth, but I do just want to give a plug. Anyone who feels comfortable going to theaters, I urge you to go see and support Nine Days because that was my favorite movie that we saw at Sundance 2020 and it never left my number one position in 2020. So now that it is finally out in theaters for people to see, please support that movie because it's something special and I really want to talk about it in a future episode. Speaking of the Sundance Lab, that helped create that movie. Yes, Edson Oda. I'm so excited for whatever he does next. Thank you, Sundance. You're the best. (laughs) Speaking of Sundance, shall we Sundance? We shall. the exact location of the house. We were in the van for approximately 20 minutes. The first night is always the most difficult. To see her is to believe her. Of course, that's how these cons work. You see, the anchor is the sign of a traveler, and the number 54 refers to where I come from, 2054. Your future. Well, what if she is? From the future? Uh, No one is from the future. is death. We'll be all right, though. Maggie's taking us to a safe place. Why do you have a gun? It is very important that we trust each other. We're family now. I just feel like we're in over our heads. Yeah, that's investigative journalism. If you'll come with me, please, Peter. Maggie will see you. I need you to bring her to me. I don't understand. I think we should go to the police. We don't know who these people are, what they're capable of. Very soon, this group is going to begin its journey. She's dangerous. I'm willing to go all the way. How far are you going to go? This is about Maggie. I see the way that you look at her. Are you really jealous of that fraud? Why not? It's not my choice. It's yours. You're hiding from me, Peter. We're survivors beyond your wildest imagination. Sound of My Voice premiered in the next section at the 2011 Sundance Film Festival. It was written by Britt Marling and Zal Batmanglish. It was directed by Zal Batmanglish. It stars Britt Marling, Nicole Vicious, Christopher Denham, Richard Wharton, and Candace Stroh. California couple Peter and Lorna set out to make a documentary meant to expose a charismatic cult leader named Maggie as a fraud. Maggie claims to be from the year 2054 and is seemingly allergic to almost everything in her environment. She lives in a basement subsisting on canned oxygen, homegrown food, and the blood of her followers. Though at first, Peter and Lorna are adamant that Maggie is a fake, they both soon fall under her spell. I enjoy this movie. You can really see the blueprint of the OA for this, which was pretty cool because the first time that we saw it, there was no OA, but now there is, and you can see where it came from. And this movie was supposed to be a web series, but I don't know why they decided to make it like all together a movie because they were releasing bits online that you could go watch like 12 minutes here and then go watch the next. And I guess they just decided to put it all out together. (laughs) But it's very Brit and Zal style, which I enjoy. The movie is is very dark and eerie, whereas the OA is much more hopeful, and the main character, yes, is mysterious and charismatic. She doesn't have the dark undertones that Maggie has. It's interesting. I like that they worked on it and they made something even better out of it, because even though this is probably like one of my favorite of Brit's movies since we started watching more of her stuff, the OA is a lot better than this. I mean, they have time to flesh 
flesh it out because it's a two season show. Mm-hmm. I like the OA a lot better. Yeah. Well, even the pilot of the OA is about as long as this movie. <laughs> yeah. The OA is very structured as a movie. Zal even said in some interview that he thinks of it as like a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> than rather a show. If you have trouble with ambiguous movies and drawing your own conclusions and what what's going on, like, is it this or this? You might not like this one as much because it, it can be vague at times, but that adds to the mystery and the weirdness. And I really like the concept, just two people trying to make a documentary secretly about a cult. I really like cults, I like learning about them. I don't want to be a part of one, but... You're fascinated by them. Yes, I love learning about them. And it's very interesting to see this cult and then the leader of the cult is a woman whereas you usually see men and her purpose and what she makes them do is it's all strange and weird and you have like this gut clenching Mm -hmm. feeling the whole time because it's uncomfortable i think i enjoy it more the second time that i watched it yeah i definitely enjoyed this more the second time i i did like this the first time but i really liked it this time also having the knowledge of the oa in my head but also kind of knowing where this movie ended up this is one that isn't harmed by rewatches because even if you know kind of where it's going just because like you said it is ambiguous mm-hmm. and i love that this movie leaves you feeling like the character of Peter uncertain of what you've just seen and Mm -hmm. what is real and what isn't. You mentioned that the OA is much more hopeful than this and this has like a darker undertone. I agree but I think it's interesting to look at it from the perspective of who is actually telling the story or whose point of view it is. So what Maggie is actually saying in her meetings to these people isn't inherently malicious. I mean, but I guess a lot of cult leaders would fall under the same umbrella. Mm-hmm. But we are following these characters who are trying to approach Maggie as if she is a fraud and is doing harm to these people. So you're colored by that. So everything she says is weird and you're like, uh, this isn't right. You just feel uneasy about it. Whereas with the OA, Prairie, we are following her from the beginning and we are seeing her not recruiting these people, but kind of recruiting these people. She's gathers these people yeah but you also you also see the perspectives from all the boys in pba you see everyone's perspective yeah we do but just from the beginning she's the first person we're introduced to Mm -hmm. as opposed to this where peter and lorna are the ones that were in their shoes it starts out very weird because you see them go through all of these very intense methods just to get to maggie of just completely cleaning your body like showering your body getting Mm -hmm. in these certain clothes and everything and you're kind of disoriented whenever you first get into this movie and I really like that whereas it's kind of disorienting with the OA at first but you're not initially set up to think that Prairie is a weirdo you think that she is someone who's been saved from a bad situation Uh, you're kind of set up to think that she's a weirdo because I remember watching the first episode and you're like what is what is happening like is she is she for real and all the boys were like are you for real what the hell but she tells them to do weird things and you're like yeah like leave your front door open (laughs) but the first association we have is just her being reunited with her parents which isn't an inherently yeah suspicious act yeah as the series goes on prairie's more sympathetic because whenever you're introduced it seems like she's trying to attempt suicide and then her parents find her and then you see that she doesn't have the best relationship with them yeah she's more sympathetic but also like the whole time mostly you're kind of just like is she for real i mean (laughs) every single brit character that i can think of outside of like well another earth she's just doing her yeah but (laughs) yeah i mean it a lot of them have that element if it's like Brit is the main mm-hmm. star and like catalyst for weird things but if she's just a normal person then you're like whatever. This one in the OA both you're just like what? <laughs> yeah Brit's very good at playing complex characters I'll just yeah. say that. Yeah. And I do like this a lot more than Another Earth and it's yeah. still interesting to me that this debuted at the exact same time at Sundance mm-hmm. as Another Earth. They're both good in their own ways but this is just a lot better for me. Even the non-Brit people 
people in the movie do a really good job. Mm-hmm. I like Peter's journey of he has his own baggage with his mother and yeah, that's the other thing. The characters are more jaded because his mom was in a cult and then he had to deal with it whenever he was a kid. So he already hates them. Mm-hmm. Most people don't like cults, so yeah. And then Lorna is a Hollywood party girl trying to find meaning in this world and clean up Yeah. So there's a lot of intriguing characters throughout, even though these two main characters they are approaching her as if like we don't believe her and we're trying to expose her they're also still people that are primed to be impacted by her in certain ways because they're facing their own demons and traumas Mm -hmm. so i think they approach that in a very intriguing way even if whether or not Maggie is from the future and trying to take them somewhere better, like, Mm. or not. Yeah, well, she wasn't trying to take, she was just trying to mostly just, like, help herself because she's from dark times and she needed help. So it's like gathering kind of an army. I think they just wanted to have purpose and to make a better future. That's what I'm saying. Like, she would gather them for a common goal of trying to fix what was broken in the future, Mm. I would think. Yeah, most cults, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of times you have people who are broken and they need help in some way, whether it's food or shelter or something to believe in. And they're usually more susceptible. Most of the people are those kinds of people that are portrayed. Mm -hmm. And of course, I didn't catch it the first time we watched because she wasn't like forefront on my mind, but Mm -hmm. there's a constant woo in there. (laughs) I noticed that. It's just like... Um, excuse me? Yeah, whatever Constance, they first, what are you doing here? They first walked in and she was dancing around and I was like, what? This Constance Wu? And yeah. then I looked it up and I was like, okay. Yeah, she's had a weird career trajectory since then. Like, people know her and she's starred in big movies and yeah. it's just, it's just being this dutiful follower in this cult. Yeah. It's wild stuff. I wonder if she still likes this movie or not. I don't see why she would. Yeah. I don't know. This was the first time we saw her apparently, which I didn't realize we did but i think it's a good bigger step in your career yeah there's a part in the movie that makes me laugh because it's super uncomfortable but it's also really funny where they ask maggie to sing a song from (laughs) her time and i was just like okay this is where you're gonna get exposed because you just have to make up a song on the spot it's just like (laughs) snl whenever (laughs) yeah but like she doesn't and I'm like, that is, wow. You chose that song. Wild. Okay. Yeah. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. That is an odd choice. It's just, people will know that song. <laughs> yeah. I do like how she reacts to yeah. someone who, who's like, that's great. But also, you do know. <laughs> I love because I, I forgot about that part, like how the, the people listening handled it. Yeah. And it was great. I don't want to like spoil anything. Yeah. But it was really funny. And then later, just how she reacts. And then later, whenever she's talking to Peter, she is talking about, oh, you think I'm so petty. But then it she is. Yeah. So it's great. But her explanation for yeah, why that... she's doing stuff in her mind, I think, makes sense. <laughs> but she is. No, that was like a quick fix. Yeah. <laughs> she was quick on her feet. It was funny. Maggie it's just interesting hearing her explain her version of what she believes for the future I guess any questions that they ask I guess it always feels like she's fumbling through her answers but also they make sense once she said but that's the point of a cult leader so yeah to be vague and mysterious and also seem Mm all-knowing like you're wise Fun fact, Zal Batmanglish is Rostam Batmanglish from Vampire Weekend's brother. Yeah, I, <laughs> I always appreciate that fact and that he Rostam does a lot of the music for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did pretty much all of the music, I think, except maybe one or two songs in this movie. Mm-hmm. So, and it's good. Yeah. It's so fun. Vampire Weekend fans, yeah. <laughs> if you need an extra reason to watch this movie, there you go. Yes, watch this movie before you watch the OA if you haven't seen the OA, and then watch the OA. Yeah. It's like a good two sides of one coin. It's fun. I like that every time we talk about Brit Marling, it mostly becomes a conversation about the OA. I think it would be the same for everyone who's a fan of Brit Marling. I'll just say that. But tying it back to the OA again, (laughs) I got this thrill whenever the guy who is leading them to Maggie, they do the handshakes with one another because it's so reminiscent (laughs) of the movements that they have to do in the OA. And I was just like, ooh, 
ooh, that hits the spot. Yeah. Complicated hand shakes and stuff. I like that that's like a recurring motif for Brit. She's like, I like movement. and Yeah, I like, think she and Zal both like that. It's so cool. I remember the first time we saw that in the OA when they were doing mm-hmm. like the movement stuff. I was just like, this is incredible. Yeah. I, I don't know why it makes me feel so much, but it does. Just whenever they put it all together, it really is moving and how it's used. It's quite breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah, I like how they use the handshake in this movie too. It's mm-hmm. very cool clever mm-hmm. and how whenever you see it and you're like whoa okay it's very good yeah but also if you have trouble with vomit oh yeah m- metaphobes yeah no you might not be able to watch this movie or just don't eat while you watch this movie or you can just fast, fast forward, forward to yeah. that scene you'll it, know a scene there's yeah. like a tarp on the ground yeah they're all sitting in the circle and maggie is holding an apple and they all have apples just fast forward yeah <laughs> But if you can handle vomit, it's a very (laughs) intense scene on its own due to some of the narrative ramifications. It's very important to see with Peter's character to watch that. It's really intense. Yeah, not just from a strict narrative perspective, but just like background information that he reveals as well. Mm -hmm. But he says that he was lying. Yeah, but once again, (laughs) was he? Was he not? What's true and what's not? This is a fun movie to discuss afterwards of just what was real, what was not, what are the ramifications of some of the the character's choices and it's really good. Yeah, just pay attention whenever you watch it to everything that's going on in every scene. Oh, good for you! And how was it? What is your rating system for this? My rating system is apples. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I will give this movie four apples out of five. I will do the same. I will give this four apples out of five. And also, especially because with any good movie, it says the name of the movie... (laughs) in the movie yeah so automatic four stars right there if you want to see if this movie resonates with you it is currently available on cinemax blu-ray and digital as of this recording having a baby is an immoral act overpopulation climate change rise of neo-fascism did you take your valium yes why they're trying a by any means necessary approach. I thought they were done with all that and they were trying to adopt. They're still doing that. They're like fertility junkies. Your best chance for success is with the donor egg. He's out of his mind. There's a lot of positives. Oh, it's easy for you to say. You'll have your genetic contribution. And me, I'm just left out. Don't even... Uncle Richard and Aunt Rachel said I could stay at their place anytime I want to. They're not in any position to take care of anyone but themselves right now. My mom told me you guys had a lot going on, but I had no idea. This is a really bad time for me to be crashing here. No, not at all. Really? Because I have friends in Bushwick. No, no, we're so glad that you're here. Dreams on Private Life debuted at the Sundance Film Festival in 2018. It is written and directed by Tamara Jenkins and stars Paul Giamatti, Katherine Hahn, Kaylee Carter, Molly Shannon, John Carroll Lynch, Desmond Borges, and Dennis O'Hare. Rachel and Richard have been repeatedly trying to get pregnant, undergoing multiple fertility treatments while also exploring adoption and other options. As they hit obstacles and face up to the reality of their chances, their strained marriage seems to be further than ever from completing the elusive path to parenthood. As unexpected Hail Mary arrives in the form of their stepniece Sadie, a recent college dropout who crashes on their couch and just might prove to be the last unconventional piece of their fertility puzzle. I have been very excited to watch this movie for a long time, and I'm glad that we have finally taken the chance to watch it, uh, especially because big fan of Paul Giamatti, and I've become an even bigger fan of Katherine Hahn over the past several years, and overall, I think it pretty much met my expectations. I don't think it exceeded them, but it's still a very good movie. It's a very thoughtful look at the fertility process, and you can tell it's written by someone who's really either talked to a lot of people who have experienced it or has experienced it themselves. I did not do the research to see if this is a personal story for (laughs) Tamara. It really delves into the hardships that a lot of women have to put themselves through just for the chance of becoming mothers and all of the injections and medical procedures that they have to go through. It's a very hard process and this movie really conveys that. And I 
I really love the dynamic they have with their stepniece, played by Kaylee Carter. I don't think I'd seen her in anything before, but I really liked her presence. She's trying to find her place in the world, and she is very open-minded and almost kind of naive at points, but I don't know, she just had a very chill energy that I appreciated. (laughs) And there's a lot of humor in this film, but also a lot of stressful, heartbreaking moments as well. I think it's a very solid drama. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. All the dynamics between the cast and the people were very enjoyable. And like you said, it is very sad and it can be painful to watch, especially if you have gone through it. So if you're someone who has gone through it, then it might be a struggle to watch. Mm. I think it's worth it. And I like the niece. Like you said, she can be naive. She has that aspirational and part of youth where you're like over zealous and then you think you can change the world (laughs) so everything that she does is to try to be better Mm -hmm. it's fun to see Because that gets beaten out of you. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's either that or being jaded. So. Yeah, some people I guess have a good mix, but I don't know. The niece Sadie really loves Richard and Rachel, and you can really tell that she jumps at the chance to help them and loves staying with them. And the story it's sad and frustrating because it might not end the way that you want it to end. But I think Richard and Rachel have been parents to a lot of different younger people, and I think because they were able to be parents to them they've helped a lot of younger people they were there for them whenever they really needed them and then those people could have gone and not done so well like the surrogates that they're talking to i think they really help them yeah they really get attached and they become parents to them almost and they are pretty much sadie's parents she describes them as her art parents because she's really into writing and they help with her writing yeah they foster her creativity whereas her her, mom doesn't yeah i mean she's not a bad mom like molly shane character Mm -hmm. but she's very stereotypical like rigid mother she's just worried about sadie's future like being safe and being financially stable yeah which i can understand but also you gotta help the kids creativity you gotta give them something yeah don't just stomp on their dreams completely yeah i think the millennial approach to things of trying things out and just trying to shake things up out of the norm is very uncomfortable for a lot of older generations and (laughs) especially i mean And in part, they might be right because a lot of things don't work out, but the creativity doesn't need to be snuffed out. Yeah, they need to be more open-minded. Yeah. It's not even just like, we need more creative people. It's just like, they need to be open-minded to... There are different ways of doing things. Yes, and people's ideas and ways of life. They just think that it needs to be one thing and it doesn't. That doesn't work for everyone. Mm -hmm. That just makes sense, of course. She just is like, no, you need to do something that will give you a stable career, which... Mm -hmm. I think Sadie can do a job that will give her money, like some income, and it can just be mindless. And then she can focus all her creative energy on writing and doing that and then do both. She can get her foot in somewhere and then maybe go from there. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And that's okay. She can always write for the rest of her life. Just be a starving artist. That's why there's the term. (laughs) But she doesn't have to be starving, though. Yeah. She can just be getting by. Mm, Yeah, I guess. I mean, if she's not making money from her writing, I doubt she's going to be living the highlight. No, no, no. Not like ultra rich or anything, but she can do better than a minimum wage job. Yeah, of course. That's all I'm saying. But yeah, all the dynamics are very interesting. It's very layered. The ending is just kind of painful. But it's nice to see them parent all these people along the way, all these young adults. Yeah. Some of the character choices in this movie do make me irritated, but they're realistic. It's just, I don't want to, like, spoil anything, but just certain things regarding withholding medical information from people or, like, taking decisions upon themselves without certain medical advice is very reckless. And I'm just like, (laughs) what are you doing? Yeah, there are a lot of people that do that though like yeah. you said realistic yeah it comes from like a good intentions but mm-hmm. it's still very dangerous and makes me uncomfortable <laughs> yeah but Tamara, she's very good at writing nuanced characters and i think these are very well fleshed out characters for everyone involved and it provides everyone a really good chance to show off why we think they're so great i mean Catherine hahn has a lot of very crushing scenes and she's very good 
at just the way she looks in certain scenes and you can just tell everything that's going on in her mind. There's a scene where Sadie is just trying on stuff in front of her and just walking around in basically <laughs> just underwear and everything and just the look yeah. on Catherine's face is so perfect. Yeah. That crushing seeing youth that you no longer have. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So sad. And just the dynamic between her and Paul Giamatti as Richard. It's a very tough portrayal of a marriage, but also, once again, very realistic of just the all-consuming nature of, like, having a goal that you want to reach and you almost forget the reasoning behind the goal. They want a child, mm-hmm. but and that becomes their goal, but then they kind of forget to be a couple. Is there still love within their marriage? And what is it all for? And just those questions that are posed in this movie it's good (laughs) it gets at that thing that i've heard a lot with couples trying sex is no longer fun anymore because it's just like a job Mm -hmm. and they almost dread it at points because it either means oh i made this thing or i failed again yeah and you have to do it at a certain time gotta be ovulating so it's just like this whole job it becomes work and it breaks down a relationship a lot they're at the point where it's not just having sex at a certain time Mm -hmm. it's not having sex and then getting a lot of shots so you can retrieve eggs but it's still like the same journey yeah and that introduces a whole other set of problems of like financial issues because Mm -hmm. it's so freaking expensive yeah i was surprised that they could do all those things it blew my mind because she's a writer Mm -hmm. and then he is also he's He's like like a a playwright i think yeah like a director or something yeah so they spent a lot of money and of course they need to borrow money at one point but it just blew my mind how much money they're spending and then also just living in New York. Yeah. Their apartment looks small, but even a small apartments cost a fortune, so mm-hmm. I didn't know how they were doing this. No, but this is like, people put themselves into debt trying to have a child yeah. all the time, and it's ridiculous, because that puts a lot of pressure on the child to be something worthwhile or special. No, no. The parents love the child, no matter what. They're so excited. Sure. I mean, if the kid turns out to be a murderer, I'm sure they'd be like, yeah. well, I wasted all this money. Yeah, so. I spent like <laughs> $50,000 to get so, this scrub. So this doofus could kill a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah I would get that, but most of the time they're I extremely know, they're pleased. Yes. I've been around people who have done in vitro where it worked and mm-hmm. they love those kids to death. But I bet you... <laughs> Especially the dads in there, in the back of their mind, they're like, this costs so much damn money, this better be worth it. (laughs) Probably. I'm sure the dad. Yeah? Yeah. You know. Oh, I'm sure. A little piece. Yeah. Hashtag not all dads. Okay, I get it. I get it. (laughs) To be fair, I think the dads that would have that thought, I think they would probably be more so the dads who weren't that on board in the first place and are just going along with it because, like, that's what my wife wants. So, like, yeah, Yeah. I'm, I'm not opposed to it, but I'm not really thrilled yeah yeah probably and they think of things in just like financial terms instead of the emotional fulfillment they would get from a child not that i necessarily would think that paul giamatti would be this way his richard character no i don't think so the film it does a good job of showing this process but it also shows a found family almost i mean they are technically family but the unconventional families of the world and relationships which are always moving that we like. Yeah. Pretty good. It's pretty, 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 pretty good. What is your rating system? Well, continuing the food theme of our rating systems, I gotta go with eggs. Oh. (laughs) And I would give this three and a half eggs out of five. I think I'm gonna modify that a little bit, but I will also say I'm going to give this three and a half retrieved eggs out of five. (laughs) If you also want to experience this this journey of life, it is currently available exclusively on Netflix. Lindsay Meeks has never met a guy quite like Ben. All right, Lindsay, so what's the matter with this one? I'm about to turn 2010, and instead of becoming more open and available, I'm becoming less open. All the guys you date are competitive and successful. It's like you're dating yourself. Ding, ding, ding. This guy has got such a good vibe. I really think you've got something here. Me too. Something's not quite right. Robin, there is a reason this Ben guy is still single. I'm really going to take a chance now. Lindsay, will you go to opening day with me? (laughs) Yes. 
she knows he's a fan. Where do the Sox rank in your life? I say Red Sox and breathing. Can you believe this pinhead? She knows he's devoted. This Red Sox thing, it's an obsession. I know, it's just that I hate when it becomes... <laughs> Oopsie. But she's about to discover. They're sending me to Paris to close the deal. And I am taking What? Just how committed he really is. We're two games out of first with three weeks left, you know, but this is when they need me. When they need you. Fever Pitch was released in 2005. It's loosely based on the novel by Nick Hornby and adapted for the screen by Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. It was directed by Bobby and Peter Farrelly. It stars Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon. Ben Reitman has been an intense, die-hard Boston Red Sox fan ever since his uncle introduced him to them when he was seven. Now, 23 years later, he works as a high school teacher. He meets Lindsay Meeks, who is on the verge of earning herself one of the biggest promotions in her career thus far. The two find themselves falling in love during a fairy tale winter but once summer rolls around, Lindsay finds herself in a relationship with not only Ben, but the Red Sox too. That's right, more Drew Barrymore this week. Back to back. And as I would say, you can never have enough Drew Barrymore in your life. She is one of the best and one of my favorites. You included that in our wedding vows. I did. And I also included it in past episodes. She's <laughs> one of my favorites. But this is probably one of my top movies by her. Definitely top 10 Drew Barrymore movies for me. Not top five though, but top 10. <laughs> You draw a fine line. Yeah. I'm very strict and harsh on my tastes of Drew Barrymore movies. This is probably one of my favorite Fairly Brother movies, and that's even over Dumb and Dumber. And that's saying something because I love Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> I love Jim Carrey, and I love Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! I read you. But it is really good. I think people are, of course, harsh on it unnecessarily, and there are people who don't like it, but I think it's really good, and I think it is kind of surprising. I mean, whenever I saw it, I was super, super excited to see it, of course, but it didn't let me down at all, and it met my expectations, and they were pretty high, so <laughs> the writing is good, and even though Jimmy Fallon isn't the best actor, he does really well in this movie. I think the character suits him. It's really sweet and nice, and it's very heartfelt and there's not a lot of like gross humor or anything that you might expect from a Fairly Brother movie and yeah it's not too dated either yeah and there's not like a lot of stupid jokes or like dumb stuff to make you laugh and it does make me laugh it still makes me chuckle every time that I watch it and I've seen it not 10 times but over five mm -hmm. I would say and it still makes me laugh and <laughs> another movie about sports that I enjoy but I would never want to sit through a baseball game <laughs> Aww. now you just made us lose all our baseball listeners oh no Baseball's fine, but I don't think I want to watch a game. Yeah. I've, I've watched a few and they're whatever. I like it taking place in Boston and I like the culture. It's fun. And diehard Red Sox fans are very amusing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that was like deleted scenes. There was a part that was filmed in Canada because they it was a game in Ontario, but it didn't make it into the film that they went to. It was like the only away game. Oh, really? Yeah, and Drew Barrymore threw out the first pitch and it barely made it to the plate and she was very embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's a long ways to the plate. Okay? Yeah. There's a scene in this movie where Stephen King throws the first pitch out, and that did make it, and they filmed that was like an actual game. Mm -hmm. And Drew starred in two Stephen King adapted films, Firestarter and Cat's Eye. But he threw out the pitch, and they lost that game, and everyone blames Stephen King. <laughs> Boston fans. <laughs> They will find any excuse yeah. to lay the blame at someone else besides the Sox. Yeah, he's a big Red Sox fan, yeah. and they blamed him. But he was probably like, I get it, I get it, I blame me too. You got your horror energy coming into this, to this part? Nah. So funny. Oh, this is also a movie that I bought the soundtrack for, because I mainly bought it for the Tears for Fears song, Who Killed Tangerine, which you will probably hear in the trailer that I play, because it is in that trailer, but if you don't, you will hear it in a few seconds.
It is dope, and I love it. And then there's also a lot of other good songs on there, like the Human League's Fascination song, and then mainly the song Window Pane by Mad Larry. And it starts out, I like it when it rains. I like that song, but there's a lot of good songs on there. At first, before I delve into my thoughts on the mm-hmm. movie, that was so beautiful. Thank you. I think you should sing more on the podcast. I didn't even warm up. I didn't even do my vocal warm-ups. No, it's still early in the morning, so like you're not even at peak vocal times so it just what can i say it just comes out imagine if we recorded at night (laughs) listeners this was i believe my third maybe fourth time watching this film and it's very pleasant i like it it's it's not high art but in terms of romantic comedies this is a good one i like romantic comedies i'm a big fan of them i'm not ashamed to admit it there's no reason to have any shame well you think you're better than me (laughs) And yes, as you mentioned, Jimmy Fallon, he's serviceable in this role. He's charming, but he's not like a great actor. You can see kind of some of his limitations, Mm -hmm. but he has charm. There's a reason he's now a late night host. Like he has that kind of like personability that you like and you like spending a couple hours with him. And it's fine that he has some of his shortcomings. But this is held up by Drew and her endless charm. Yes. And I love it love her. This is a great role for her. Mm -hmm. Um, She has her little neurotic moments, or I'm not sure if neurotic is the right word, but her little peccadillos that she has. Yeah, her quirks. Yeah. And like you mentioned to me while we were watching (laughs) how she inserts some of her real life traits in this movie. You want to shed some light on that? (laughs) Well, there's a scene where she, Lindsay, and Jimmy has been, (laughs) are sitting at a outdoor restaurant eating and he mentioned how he had eaten all the bread and he was sorry. And then she was like, it's okay, I usually just eat off of everyone's plate anyways. My friends called me the seagull and then she made a seagull noise. That is true. She said that in interviews and in her book that I read. So she likes to put little things in there. That Drew is the seagull. <laughs> Drewisms. <laughs> so she has a very like fun chemistry with Jimmy. And even just from the early, the first scenes of them meeting on their little class trip that he brings his students on, which I also like Jimmy's relationship with his students because yeah. it's just, it's silly and fun. He it, would be a good teacher in real life. Yeah. It's like a more toned down version of how Jack Black interacts with his students in School of Rock. Yeah. So it's fun. And how he seems like the cool teacher and stuff. And like, not actual teachers, but other teachers or like administrators in the school look at him like, what are you doing? That's not how we teach. But he's just like... He's trying to make kids interested in learning. So what's bad about that? He teaches geometry. So you, you definitely got to make that interesting. Yeah. He relates to them on a personal level. How do I reach these kids? Geometry. My least favorite yeah. math subjects. Yeah. I think, um, not to brag, but <laughs> I was a, a pretty good student in high school. And <laughs> geometry was my first B and Ooh. it I was just like how dare you ruin my A average with your stupid B oh no so that's a little Pythagorean <laughs> how dare you how dare you so that's a little aside a little personal aside a little grudge I have against geometry curse that hypotenuse <laughs> I personally do not have any affection for baseball in the way that Ben does, Mm. but I understand having a passion for something because I have that for movies. And also people probably think I'm ridiculous and how I let it consume my life a lot of times and just (laughs) decorate only one room of the house really with all kinds of stuff. Did it hit a little nerve for you whenever she told Ben, it's like you live in a gift shop? No. Because it's just one room? Yeah. No, because one, I know you don't care. <laughs> like you kind of appreciate my viewing library of movies yeah. that we've curated over the years. And also just like, it's whatever. I, there's, <laughs> you shouldn't have shame in what you love. Yeah, I don't really care. Yeah. I also have like Beatles posters and things around and we have movie posters and it's fine. Yeah. And I'm not to the level of Ben. On, if you were like, hey, I have like an all expense paid trip to Paris, but it's on the same night as the Oscars, I'd be like, okay, we'll just watch it later, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah. You bet your ass you would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Another fun fact, Drew Barrymore's best friend, Nancy, gonna mispronounce her name, so sorry, Nancy Javonin, they started Flower Films together, their production company, so they produced this movie, and that is where Nancy met Jimmy, and they are married now, so they met through this film. I think she's talked about this in interviews, but I don't remember what she said, but I wonder if they were dating at this time, uh, whenever they started filming, and if that was strange, seeing Drew kissing Jimmy. You kissing my boy? Yeah, but uh, they're all like family now so yeah it worked out yeah if there was kind of like a eyebrow raise like "Mm." (laughs) drew calls nancy nan and so jimmy does too now because whenever they do interviews together they'll talk about her and it's very cute there have been interviews with drew and adam adam sandler Mm -hmm. and i remember what adam and drew said about adam's wife whenever during the the kissing scenes and everything how adam's wife was like no you get in there and you kiss her like (laughs) i don't want you looking bad i want people to know that you were good at this. <laughs> <laughs> My reputation is on the line. Yeah. I, they need to know I'm dating a good kisser <laughs> and a good actor. Makes me laugh. Yeah. I like that Drew has this kind of dynamic with a lot of her co-stars of just like, she has just a quality where people, like a warmth that people gravitate towards and like there's a friendliness to her performances. Yes. As I've told you, she can be kind of used as a litmus test if you're talking to people. Like if I say, oh, I love Drew Barrymore. Mm -hmm. She is one of my favorite people. And if they're like, no, not for me. I know that you're not a great person. (laughs) 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 Jay. There are some other fun actors and actresses in this yes. film. As I mentioned to you, <laughs> thanks to being with you for over a decade, I have come to really learn who Ioni Sky is. Hell yeah! Through you saying, hey, that's Ioni Sky. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> That's cool, because it's been quite a while since I have seen Say Anything, and you pointed her out whenever we watched Four Rooms on New Year's Eve, Mm -hmm. and I was like, that's Ioni Sky. So whenever she popped up here, I'm like, that's Ioni Sky. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jessica. She's fun in this movie. I like how her dynamic with Katie Strickland, (laughs) and she kind of acts as a mediator between her character and Lindsay. (laughs) So I like all of the dynamic between, like, Lindsay and her friends. Yeah, I like her friend group. Ben's friend group is fun too. Mm -hmm. They all have a fun dynamic. Mm -hmm. And just them and his kind of quote-unquote family at the game, like all the people surrounding him in the stands. As you mentioned, all the outrageous Boston personalities that are around him, because they're all on Ben's level, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, It's a lot, but it's funny. Yeah. It's very charming, the way that they love the socks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How they take Lindsay under their wing and they explain things to her, and I really like it. Yeah, but then they also to get frustrated with her whenever she's working at the game. Yeah. But I get her point. She's like, this is like my third or fourth game of the week. She's been sacrificing all of her time to go to these games. I'm like, yeah, that's a lot in one week. Yeah, she's trying to get this promotion, so she there's no other time to work on stuff. Yeah. But then to them, it's like sacrilegious, <laughs> not giving the Red Sox your full attention, mm-hmm. not being in the moment. This film, it's predictable for the most part, but it's very enjoyable. And mm-hmm. I think it's pretty wild that like during production, they had to completely... Rewrite. Yeah, rewrite the ending because Mm -hmm. of how the Sox curse was finally being broken. Is it going to be broken? And they like went and actually filmed at these games and that they made this film at the exact point where it was possible for this long running curse to be broken. It's just so wild how life works out like that. Yeah, maybe it was the power of Drew that reversed the curse. Boston, you need to thank Drew Barrymore. Fun fact, they still play this movie on the field for baseball movie nights like over the green monster oh nice so they do have affection for it awesome (laughs) that's cool so I think they appreciate how the Drew charm mm-hmm. helped them out. Another fun fact you were talking about his Red Sox family. Mm-hmm. One of the people in his family, the blonde woman, she is actually a diehard Red Sox fan and she appeared in the documentary that was made about them and Jimmy saw it and he liked her so much that he said to hire her and she got in the movie. <laughs> she had extreme Red Sox energy radi- radiating <laughs> off of her so I totally believe that. 
Yeah. It's pretty cool. So yeah, as we mentioned, this is a Fairly Brothers, or yeah, Fairly Brothers movie, mm-hmm. but they got off course in like the later 2000s, but this was still quite enjoyable, Fairly Brothers movies. They have some very juvenile humor in a lot of their films, but this one is one of the more even-handed and less ridiculous ones, and it has a lot of heart. Yeah, I quite, quite enjoy it. Now, if any of you sons of bitches... Got anything else to say? Now's the fucking time! Jessica, can you knock it out of the park with your rating system? What do you say? We just jerk one out of the park. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My rating system is Drew Barrymore Lisps. I would give this movie four and a half Drew Barrymore Lisps out of five. (laughs) Aw, that's so sweet. (laughs) What is your rating system? Well, I'm going to go with concussions. Nice. So I would endure (laughs) three and a half concussions out of five, which it seems weird to compare this movie on the same level as Private Life because they're very different movies. But Mm, That's how it goes. Yeah, it's just enjoyment level. This is just a very pleasant movie. You know what? You're concussed right now. You can't even tell what's what. Uh, It makes sense. That's what I'll blame it on. (laughs) If you want to check out this movie, it is currently available on Stars and on Blu-ray as of this recording. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Home Dance Film Festival. Join us again next time when we'll be discussing Coda starring Amelia Jones and Marley Matlin and 2019's Paddleton starring Ray Romano and Mark Duplass, plus a wild card that you'll have to wait to hear about. For those who want to prepare at home, Coda is currently available in select theaters and Apple TV Plus, and Paddleton is available exclusively on Netflix. If you have any thoughts or opinions about the movies we discussed today or movie suggestions, you can write us at homedancepod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and tweet at us at HomeDancePod. If you enjoy the show, feel free to leave a rating or review. And if you didn't, don't even worry about it. You don't have to. You can sit on it. If we haven't alienated you, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DylanGonzalez2. You can also find me publishing reviews almost daily on GeekVibesNation.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at JessicaNarrates. You can also find me contributing to GeekVibesNation.com. We are proud to be a part of the Geek Vibes Nation podcasting network. Original music for the show is provided by Andrew Carroll who can be found at musicbyandrewcarroll.com Original artwork for the show is provided by Ben Belcher who can be found on Instagram at the Art of Ben Belcher. I've been Jessica. And I'm Dylan. So how about that sax game last night, huh? It was pretty wicked. Yeah, I'm not really a baseball fan. Oh, Mr. Fancy Pants over here. Next you're gonna tell me you don't like Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, actually not. I don't really... Alright, you think you're better than me? Huh? Get out of here. Bye. Bye. Gucci!